another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show, um, I've been looking forward to this episode for a very long time. Um, so um, I have two of my really good friends here um, that are um, uh, both um, fellow Jews um, that uh, I know through uh, UWM, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and um, we and we're here to discuss a little bit about the Jewish community, a little bit about anti-Semitism, a little bit about um, perspectives within the Israel-Palestine conflict, um, as that is something that is uh, very instrumental to how we know each other. Um, so I have Nicole Gorlick here. Uh, Nicole is, um, me and her actually, uh, we started in a student organization uh, back in school, um, Panthers for Israel, our sophomore year. Um, which is no longer Panthers for Israel anymore. We will get to that. Um, and now she works in Maccabee, Maccabee Task Force. And then over here we have Raviel Asherov, who uh, was involved in Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voices for Peace, um, both Palestinian um, advocacy groups um, that are very uh, prevalent around college campuses. So thank you guys for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Of course. So. I want to, like, just from the get-go, um, we should uh, dive a little bit into how we know each other, because uh, we do have a little bit of an interesting history. Um, so, um, Nicole? Ben. <laughs> how you doing over there, buddy? Doing good, thanks. Oh, um, so Nicole and I actually, we met before we even got to school, because um, we were both in BBYO, the Jewish High School Youth Organization. And we met at international convention, and I was like, hey, like... Mutual friend introduced us. Yeah, 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 because I think I said I was going to UWM. Yeah. And she was like, hey, my friend over here is going to UWM. And that was our first time going, hey. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, um, so that's how we we met. And then um, we, next thing we know... Uh, we're in yeah. the elevator together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the UWM dorms, um, going to parties, address hopping, you know, typical college stuff. Yep. But then we met Reveal over here. That all changed. The <laughs> <laughs> party's over. Yeah. It's curtains. It's curtains. Um, so Reveal, um, how about uh, I? How about you explain how we met? Well, you were. One of the founding members of Students Supporting Israel, yeah. which was, despite the composition of your members regionally, syndicated, it's a very right-wing organization yeah. in the spectrum of Israeli-Palestinian, uh, where you could fall into that spectrum on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I was president of Students for Justice in Palestine, and I just made an effort to have uh, confrontations with you yeah. on the realm of ideas, on the realm of politics, on the realm of... Um, you know, where are you coming from? Yeah. Does your position really align with this syndicated position of your, the student supporting Israel group as a whole? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's how we that's how we met, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I I remember uh, the first couple interactions we had weren't always the most pleasant. Like out. Uh, I had a great time. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> hey, it made for some great pictures. There are some. <laughs> Then we started actually hanging out, getting coffee, smoking hookah, exchanging ideas, and yeah, just talking about the very same things which we talked about on Spades Plaza. Yes, I was I was always very open, and I um I was when I was president of SJP, I made it. I tried to instill within the members this idea that listen, we have nothing to hide from the opposition. If we truly believe we take the moral and political high ground on on this subject, we should always be willing to confront, uh, regardless of what the intentions of the opposition is. Not mm -hmm. to say that this is your intention, but often there's this Fox Paws sympathy, which is proffered by uh, various pro-Israel groups, and they aren't sincere about it. Yeah. But even if they aren't sincere about it, it doesn't matter, because it's not relevant to the actual arguments which uh, they're proffering for their side. Yeah. So that's what I tried to do. 
And you succeeded. <laughs> you I got us. You, you know, we're all sitting here. We're drinking some uh, some Sprite and vodka. Um, tasty. We tried to get a hookah sparking earlier, and it failed miserably. Um, yeah. Shout out you for trying to get the kindling and the sparking the fires and everything. We really did try everything. Some yeah. nice calluses. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, but the ashes are still uh, have tainted this table. Sorry to whoever owns this table. Um, so the reason I really wanted to have you guys on the show was because. So for one, like. Mr. Nice Guy is about love and fear, and I feel like, you know, I've been, so I've been trying to incorporate more social justice into the show, and I feel like social justice and love and fear go hand in hand, you know, it's a lot of, like, people operate out of fear when it comes to, you know, when they are acting, when they're standing up for a social justice cause. They're acting out of love because they want to see change and they want something, they want something positive to come out of action. Um, but the fear stems into it when we're worried about what's going to happen to us if change doesn't happen. And when it comes to things like anti-Semitism in the Jewish community, um, the, the Israel-Palestine conversation, love and fear is very, very dynamic uh, in that conversation because it's, you know, we're... It's a very, I mean, it's a complex issue that goes, you know, very far into history. And, and you know, there's a lot of perspective that gets, gets thrown around. And a lot of people have been fighting and struggling over what, you know, the solution is, what the answer is, how we can achieve peace, or whether or not certain factions are deserving of peace. Those have been all, com those have all been um, components of that conversation. Um so, um, so as Ravil said, um, yeah, so we original, Nicole and I, we started, um, an Israel advocacy group, um, back when we were sophomores and, uh, it, it was kind of like it, it, Israel and like being, it's kind of almost like, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it coincides. There's like a lot of crossover appeal with the Jewish community and the Israel community. And a lot of the time, at least historically, like the Jewish community has been expected to be part of the Israel community. And I mean, um, you here are the anomaly because like, you know, when we first met you, we were like, this guy is Jewish and, you know, he's involved in Palestinian activism. Like, you know, like self-hating Jew. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, a, that's, yeah, a term. that's my favorite. Yeah, that's a term. Yeah, um, but it's like people see that as very like, you know, enigmatic. Like they don't expect that at all. And you know, especially over the last couple of years, we've seen how that that um, that sort of um, blind justice to Israel through the Jewish community. It's like it's kind of getting, it's been challenged, it's been undone, it's been unlearned, and it's also just been, I think also, especially in your case, it's it's about doing it better than we have in the past. Um, so that's kind of like a big thing like I really want to focus on tonight. So for one, um, Nicole, we'll start with you. Um, so what exactly is does your job entail with NACME Task Force? So, um all in all, what the MACB Task Force does, before I kind of go into what I do as part of the MACB Task Force, um, so we're a Zionist organization, and we were created to help further Israel's narrative on college campuses. Um, we work with over 80 schools, and um, we, we work with schools that have issues with, like, anti-Israel activity, and basically help the students who are already involved with Israel advocacy boost what they're already doing. Um, we go in, we meet with the students, we ask what they want to see. Um, a lot of times what they want to see is inter more interfaith work or um, just honestly, it's all over the board what people want to do. Every school is pretty different. Um, what I do, um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, <laughs> the biggest thing we do is our Israel trip, um, which I just got back from two weeks ago with the University of Pittsburgh. We take 20 non-Jewish students and five Jewish students into Israel and the Palestinian territories. And um, 
they basically get an in-depth view of what's happening on the ground in Israel, Palestine, things like that. Within Israel, we meet with um, Israelis, we meet with Arab Israelis, we meet with um, people all on the spectrum from like really right-wing people to really left-wing, whatever. And we go into the Palestinian territories, we meet um, with the PLO, uh, a representative from the PLO. Um, we go into um, a refugee camp on most trips, visit the Yasser Arafat Museum. Um, pretty much, oh, when we go to like Christian sites, things like that, so yeah. The Holy Sepulchre. Yes, that's uh, that's part of that. Jesus' uh, resting place. Jesus, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm a Midwest coordinator and I work with about 18 schools in the Midwest, including a couple in Canada, actually. And um, my role is to, I guess, be a resource for students and help fund their ideas. So, yeah. yeah. So, where did you start um, finding, where did you start finding yourself wanting to really start standing up for Israel? Good question, Ben. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Um, I was always involved with Jewish stuff in high school um, with BBYO, like you mentioned earlier, um, but I never really knew why, as a Jew, I was always told to just support Israel blindly. Um, I just knew that I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. That was, you know what I mean? Like, as Jews, like, we're always told, like, um, you have to support Israel. Right. It's our homeland. Yeah, like, that's yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. not really, like, whatever, like, you just, that's what you know as a Jew. Um, but then, um, when I was a freshman in college, I took a, res a research uh, class and uh, we had to do a research paper and um, I figured I would do mine on how Israel-Palestine are depicted in the media and from that I did a lot of research, obviously, and <laughs> since it's a research paper, and I found a lot of um, information about how every topic relating to the conflict has two sides. So that really sparked my passion um, for the conflict, for learning more about how to advocate for Israel. And um, yeah, I guess that here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I said earlier, so like, you know, given that, you know, you were somebody who, you know, grew up like in the Jewish community and you ended up um, in college, like as part of like Palestinian activist organizations, where did you start finding yourself like, um, you know, uh, um, standing up for the Palestinian cause and uh, getting involved in those organizations? Really, just, it, the the way it started was just Israeli historians reading the works of Israeli historians and particularly the new historians. The reason of among these historians, um, you know, we have Benny Morris, we have Elan Pape. We have, his name is evading me right now, but he is the writer of a very famous book on the Six-Day War called 1967. And it was reading their works. So why, the reason that the new historians are distinguished as the new historians is most history, as that the, the history that comes from Israel, as it relates to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, a great majority of it comes from the state archives in Israel, particularly the IDF archives located in Tel Aviv. And the thing which separates the new historians from the rest of the historians is they went in looking at these primary sources with a kind of a blank ideological slate. So they took the sources to be for what they were rather than what they wanted them to be at the end of the day. And this, interestingly, developed among specific historians which varied in their political positions vis-a-vis -vis the, conflict, the conflict as a whole. So despite their political positions, they still took this um, kind of unbiased ideological perspective into analyzing the archive. So you have someone who uh, is like Ilan Pape, who was, you know, one of the former forerunners uh, on the Israeli Communist Party ticket back in the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. to someone like Benny Morris, who says that despite that so many Palestinians were ethnically cleansed, Israel should have ethnically cleansed all of them completely, rather than the 80, you see, about 80% that it did. So it was reading their works. It, it really had 
little to do with my cultural identity. Um, I suppose, actually, you know, I shouldn't say that because that cultural identity is what led me to uh, first originally learn about what this thing is. You know, yeah. Israel comes up much more frequently if you are part of a Jewish family than if you're not. It's kind of, you right. know, on the periphery, something you may hear in the news occasionally. Yeah. So that was perhaps the first push in terms of, you know, how my background got me into this kind of work. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that key things is um, the fact that we grow up and we're not really, you know, we're not taught to do anything to challenge Israel, you know, it's like, so for one, it's like when I grew up, like I knew nothing about Israel. I didn't even really care about being Jewish when I was growing up. Like, that's something I understood too going into, you know, having my confrontations with you is I grew up in the same sort of atmosphere. So I know that you're fed something from the beginning. Like, I can't hate you for that because that was me. I was, you know, I was listening, I was eating latkes, listening to the Israeli national anthem, like, you know, the whole nine yards. I unquestioningly, unquestioningly uh, towed this line. So, yeah, like, I, 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 to an extent, I sympathize with uh, people like yourself, people like myself back in the day. Yeah. And our story of us three is a testament to, you know, people aren't these static, uh, you could call them, they're not static hardware that you can just program yeah. an ideology into right. that and that's it, it's over from that point on. We need answers. Pe people, yeah. you know, people are intelligent, they, they question, at least I hope so, at least you, got, you guys are accustomed to this, they, they question their own perspectives yeah. and they, you know, it's, it's been said that an innate facet of human nature is the drive for truth. Mm -hmm. And I think in this self-critique that you guys have had is, uh, you know, a testament to that in part. So, yeah, for sure, yeah. I'm glad like, I could be a part of it. Totally. I mean, no, you're. Right. I mean, you're right. Because like, you know, like I said, like it's you know, I didn't. So I didn't know anything about Palestine growing up. Um, I had like heard that word a couple times, and like, I thought it was like something that was like once a country, but now it isn't anymore. That was kind of like what I understood about it, like growing up. And then, yeah, so I was so in BBYO and in like being in Jewish youth groups, like that kind of got me a little bit out of my shell with my own Jewish identity. It started, you know, I started going out more to, you know, I started meeting more people that are, just, you know, that identify very closely to their Judaism. And that inspired me to like, well, shit, what can I learn about myself? You know, I, when we went on Birthright, like, you know, so Birthright, you went on it too. Um, 10 day free trip. I mean, you pay a deposit, but that's really it. Um, and, you know, it's basically a 10 day trip about seeing all the beauty that is in Israel and just like teaching people to, about the culture and about the landscape and about, like, you know, it basically takes you to all the tourist attractions and everything. and. It's a lot of fun. But some of the best ten days of my life. Um, I made friends back then that I still talk to today. Um, but we didn't talk. I think we talked about Palestine and the conflict like maybe one night of the entire of the entire trip, and it was and it was still very clear to me at that point. Like I didn't learn like anything. I was still. I mean, for one, I was a just a confused 18 year old that just wanted to party mm -hmm. and two I also just didn't I feel like it was just like not very um, it just wasn't an emphasized part of the trip mm -hmm. so then like in college you know like you see you you know naturally you look for a Jewish community or you look for things you're in, you're excited or passionate about and you know found the Jewish community that's how we became close friends, Nicole, and we decided, so, like, the thing is, it's, like, when we first started, like, you know, like, going to, like, Jewish events and, like, going to Israel events and stuff like that, our first instinct is that, like, you know, there are people, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world, and it's, like, people that are, like, protesting us or people that speak out against what we're doing must like hate us and must they must harbor 
like they must harbor negative feelings about Jews or something like that. I mean, that's kind of like how we've like at that point have grown to understand like you know what that means. So like when we when we would like you know put on Israel events and stuff like that and see Palestinian protests and flags, um, you um, <laughs> you know we we would just like it would intimidate us. It would scare us. It would make us think that like wow like. Why do all these people hate us? Like, they must hate Jews. They must hate, you know, they must be, like, why do they hate Israel so much? Is basically, like, the question we keep circulating around. And it's like, and, you know, and and initially we jumped to the conclusion that they must be anti-Semitic. You know, that's just kind of like the default um, based on how we've been educated about the conflict that people are, People are speaking out against Zionism and speaking out against the Israel state. So that was that's always like kind of the initial reaction you get when you're raised just taking Israel at face value and just you know growing up in you know the traditional Jewish communities that we've grown up in. But then the question starts coming up like, so like you want to know why they're speaking out against um, and. Um, and I guess, so Nicole, I want to hear more about your, more from you. So like, you know, given that like, you know, me and you have had similar evolutions, you know, growing up and, um, I guess just like, we've, we've evolved to really see the conflict from like, you know, two sides given as like, we were both very like passionate about Israel at one point. And now we like, you know, regularly like have conversations about, you know, fucked up shit that, like, Israel has done and just being able to acknowledge that. Um, so I want to hear a little bit about, like, like where, where you find yourself questioning, like, you know, standing up for Israel, but, uh, you know, where you also still wanted to, you know, where you still found yourself identifying with it and everything. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess it, it was, like, in the midst of our club really, um getting started at UWM, I felt like you and me, like you were kind of uh, saying, we were very blinded to the other side. And I remember our favorite line used to be, um, you can still love Israel without supporting its government. Like that used to be our favorite line. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We still say it to this day, you know. Um, Yeah, but I think, it's true, and yeah. I still, I am highly opposed of the current government, but I, I still identify as a Zionist. Um, and I think that's something that I've been coming to terms with, learning about in the past few years, because, um, I don't know, like, for example, somebody name a story that just happened, like, what do you guys, what just happened recently that was... The, um, the Gaza... Like, there was, like, the, um, there were missiles fired into Gaza, and, like, Hamas fired missiles back into Israel. Like, so, was like a last recent, year? This was, this or, happened recently, the, yeah, two weeks the, ago. I the think. rockets? Yeah, yeah, rockets, yeah. Okay, well, with that, it was kind that's, like, I, I hold a different view about that, because I was actually in Israel at the time when there was 600 rockets, um, thrown in, so that was really difficult because I've never actually been um, there when there was some sort of, um, I When guess, there was an attack. When there was an attack. Yeah. Um, so that really actually helped me, I mean, okay, first, first of all, we're here in America, so um, it's really hard for us to really understand what's happening. Um, we're not there. We're not right. in the Middle East. We're not- You're in, not seeing it happen right Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, actually being there was pretty, difficult because um you know we were we were being told what to do when there's a siren and we had to cancel some things on our itinerary because there were rockets in that area and i was talking to my family who lives in rehovo and i'm like oh just another day haha because like you know it's every day and she was like no this isn't just like another day actually like um this is actually worse like we've never seen something like this in recent years whatever Mm -hmm. so um it was just for me kind of a reality check, like, this happens every day, um, so, um, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm getting at with that, but it was just, 
being on the ground makes it seem more real. Like, yeah. there's there's so much anger on both sides, and uh, deeply instilled hate. Yes. Very deeply. Yes. Hate. On both sides. Yeah. Um, of course. And like being there helped me see it because I understand like as an Israeli, okay, six hundred rockets are being thrown here. Um, fuck the Palestinians. Fuck fuck Gaza. Whatever. Fuck Hamas. Whatever. But as a Palestinian, it's like I'm so angry. I feel like I've been under occupation for my people have been under occupation for their whole for their lives. lives. So it's like. Or you're that, in Gaza and you can't leave. Yeah. And it, it's like, you yeah. know, when, you know, when, and this is an important point is like, and it's like, so obviously like, it, you know, it's like, it doesn't make it any more right that like, you know, the Palestinians have like, you know, retaliated as well. But like, so the IDF is very technologically advanced and often, you know, has carried out like, you know, the casualties have all has have often been worse on the Palestinian side simply because of just how to the f to the sheer like extent that Israel will retaliate and, you know, attack. And then you also have Hamas where it's like when they're aiming their missiles in certain parts of like Gaza or anything, it's like, you know, Hamas doesn't obviously Hamas is a really big part of it too. Where like, mm -hmm. you know, they're you know, like they're ruling the, the the region of Gaza, and you know their missiles are being fired from areas that are populated with civilians, and that often leads to more casualties when Israel is bombing. You know that area. Um, it, it just naturally leads to more civilian deaths. Where, so even with, you know, the warfare going on between, like, you know, the two governments, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the root cause of, like, a lot of, like, the present conflicts that go on from day to day. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, where do you, like, still find, you know, solace in visiting Israel and just being in the homeland? Um, well, I think that despite everything, which obviously... Um, is a lot. Um, whenever I go into Israel, I I see a lot of things that I think are progressive and things I align with. Um, for example, I visited um, this place. I wish I remember the name of it, but basically, what they do is strive for coexistence, and they bring in Palestinian children and Israeli children, and um, just for the summer, put them into like dorms together and separate them into soccer teams and like um, just force them to hang out basically and like be friends. Right. And yeah. it seems like duh, but these kids come in and like hate each other and um, you know, because they both know like them as the other. And um, I was, we were talking to the guy who started this place and he's Palestinian himself and he said, he said himself like, you know, people, when the kids leave, it's amazing, but then six months later, they hate each other again because they're back in their communities. Um, so I think it was, it was powerful to see how honest he was about it because mm -hmm. he said, we win so many awards for coexistence, but if you look at the research six months down the line, it's actually a failure. Yeah. Um, and I think that that stuck out to me the most. Um, there's so many people on the ground trying to make coexistence, but in reality, when there's still so much, so many things unsolved, coexistence is not going to do shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. But I really do think that, like, as I think starting at the root of things, when there is hate, there's never going to be peace, in my opinion, when both sides hate each other so much. Um, even if there are two states, it's still not going to be two states quietly coexisting. Yeah, right. In my right. opinion. Yeah. That makes sense. What do you think? I'm curious about Two that. states? No, not, two, not two states, but about like, um, like how coexisting doesn't really solve everything. It's, it's hard to coexist when you have this state. It's saying that it is the international representative of all jewelry across the world. Yeah. And it's consistently committing these crimes against Palestinian people. 
So I can stand, I can understand the rationale of why Palestinians harbor contempt yeah. against Israelis for that reason. Although I may not agree with the broad categorization, I can understand where that feeling is coming from. Yeah. And until those crimes end, I don't think coexistence could uh, ever. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I can't see a sentiment of coexistence being bred in any meaningful way while, you know, we're saying let's coexist and then we're carpet bombing your community. Right, yeah. So can I actually respond to that really quick? Go ahead. Um, so I'm curious then what you think, Reville. Um, so like I said, I spoke with someone from the PLO and he was telling me how they're all about peace and that's how the PLO works. <laughs> that's I straight up um, and then in the background you see their emblem a grenade and um, mm -hmm, yeah. you know um, and then I asked him okay like I raised my hand I said okay so since you're all about peace um, what do you think about Hamas and their tactics and everything and he responded that we both want the same thing the way they achieve it is different than us but we still support it so okay my reaction to that is okay if you're against violence by the IDF, how why respond with violence? What what like what do you think about that? And why support the PLO? Why what's the difference between Hamas and PLO? The concrete difference is the PLO is completely in bed with the occupation. When you see Palestinian protesters protesting the occupation, protesting the, com the compliance of the PLO government with the Israeli occupation. It's PLO soldiers who break their skulls. It's not the IDF. There's this, since the Oslo Accords had been implemented, there's been this development of outsourcing. Do you want to explain what the Oslo Accords are? The Oslo Accords were uh, the peace process, uh, uh, a peace process which was initiated uh, with Yasser Arafat and um, the people who followed him with the Israeli government and the United States kind of but not really mediating the negotiations. Okay. So there was initially proffered a roadmap. If the Palestinians meet these prerequisites, you know, we'll gradually relinquish the occupation. The Palestinians met the prerequisites, the occupation was not gradually relinquished. But the PLO didn't care because Israel actively supported their power in the region over that of Hamas, which is much more popular mm -hmm. and granted one democratic elections in 2005 because they offered, listen, we're going to resist the occupation. We're not going to be in bed with it. And that's when Israel sponsored a coup against Hamas in uh, after the 2005-2006 elections. I don't remember what year. Uh, which succeeded in the West Bank, but the coup failed in Gaza. That's why Hamas remains in power in Gaza, but the Palestinian Authority, although it legitimately remains in power in the West Bank. Yeah. So that's the position of the PLO, which is why I don't believe anything that they say. There's, there's, this, false, um, there's this false structure advanced that, you know, the Palestinians govern themselves in the West Bank. That's not true. There's one ruling authority that has any legitimacy, and that's the Israeli military and their cronies, including the Palestinian Liberation Organization, as it exists right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a good, like, concise way to kind of describe that relationship um, you know, within those powers. So, so reveal. Um, so like I said earlier, like where you like, you know, started, you know, following the Palestinian cause rather than, you know, the, the blind support for Israel and everything. Where did you start finding like it's really creepy chair, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I'm used to it. Um where did where did you um like did you get a lot of like adversity for that? Oh yeah. Pretty it was um especially from family, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You bite the bullet. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I can believe because it. it's like even us, like even when you're oh, in, yeah. when you're in a when you're in an Israel circle, like it's 
you throw one little like criticism mm-hmm. about some policy that you know Netanyahu's administration is doing, or you say, you know, maybe Israel could maybe not do this or something like, mm-hmm. you immediately get thrown the fuck you, you self-hating Jew, like you you like anti-Semite leftists, like you know, even went within our own like you know like circles, like being it's hard to be like someone who identifies like as a Zionist in the sense where we believe in Israel's like right to like exist the Jewish homeland, but you know, we're also liberal. Like that's always been a bit of a it's it's challenging because it's like you throw any little criticism about the Israeli government or you throw any little sympathy or empathy towards, you know, the Palestinians and you know what they have to go through every day, you're immediately like they like you get fucking torn apart. <laughs> there's people, so there's people that are just very, very deeply set in ways. Obviously, when it comes to like you know Israel and Judaism, to the point where like their Judaism becomes political, and that is where it often. That's what you see with a lot of like you know right wing Zionists that say like, oh well, this is our homeland, and like you know, this is like, you know we have a right to live here and like you know this whole state is like meant to belong to the jews and everything like that it's like when when you turn judaism into like politics then that's where the conversation just kind of immediately gets shut down i feel like would you would you agree it's it's not, I, I i know what you mean and i agree with you but it's not even a correct application of what proponents of that position are trying to do. Because what the what Judaism actually outlines is that um, the you know the Messiah paradox. The, mm-hmm. Messi- the Messiah must first appear yeah. and then we return to our homeland. Which yeah. is, is just utter inconsistency. Which is why you see some Not that it matters. I, I yeah. honestly couldn't care. I don't think it's a very it's not a strong argument, obviously. I don't yeah. think it's even a relevant argument to begin with. But yeah, some people uh, find solace in resorting to um, what they feel is a safe base of religion to justify their politics, but yeah, it just, it doesn't add up at the end. And it's not just, like, Zionists that do that, it's, you know, people all over the world do that with this or that. But, exactly. Yeah. So, speaking of which, um, I think we should shift the conversation a little bit into anti-Semitism. You know, criticism is of Israel is not anti-Semitism. In fact, I think that if you care about Israel, you should be criticizing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that earlier. Like, like, just basically, like, it's like if you love something or if you just identify with something, like, you know, you want to look out for it if it is fucking up or mm-hmm. if it's doing, if it's making mistakes. So, so Nicole, um, so like in your own experience, like you know, growing up in like the Jewish community and like you know the being involved in the circles as you have, like, where have you, I guess, like, have you had any personal, like, you know, um, have you had any, like, personal shots against you, like, for, you know, being somebody who's involved, who's openly Jewish and is openly expressing their Judaism? Um, I think a lot, I think I've noticed a lot of, um, recent anti-Semitism that, is subtle and people don't realize it's anti-Semitism. Microaggressions. Yes, microaggressions. There we go. That's the word. Um, I'll I'll go into that in a second. But I think when I was younger, a lot of times, friends would make little jokes, also microaggressions that I was always offended by, but I didn't know if it was valid to be offended by it. For example, like if I remember one time one of my friends in high school dropped some pennies and she's like Nicole pick it up you Jew and it's like yeah you know it's just like shitty like it was just annoying to me like I don't I don't know I just don't think it's funny um and then I would say things like okay I don't really think that's funny and they'd be like chill you're taking it too seriously or like um I remember another time I was talking to a friend and she told me that they were cooking something in the oven. And she's like, why don't you jump in, join history or something? I've As heard that joke. one too. Yeah. yeah. It's a joke. And when I got offended and told her that hurt my feelings, I was taking it too seriously. And I shouldn't be offended because it's not that big of a deal. 
Um, and that shit pisses me off because um, it's the Holocaust, in my opinion, it's not something that should be joked about. It's, it's recent. People don't realize how recent it is, but it's recent. Even in like a hundred years, I don't think it should be joked about. But um, yeah. I think our generation, we can go back two, three generations and our family's probably somehow involved with the Holocaust or World War II. Like me, for example, like my great grandparents on my dad's side were killed in Belarus, just like shot down. And um, my great grandma's family was all killed and she was 15 years old and had to carry her family and had nowhere to live, like in Russia. So it's just, it's too, it's too touchy for me to be made a joke. Um, but then more recently, I actually attended an event um, through some progressive organization. It was, it was, they were showing a movie about how um, Israel controls the media, basically. Um, so I attended it just to see what this movie was all about, you know, like, um, just came to the event. Yeah. And um, the movie was, it was fine. And afterwards there was a discussion and somebody raised their hand and she was like, well, it's clear, like, I don't know why this movie was even made, like, Jews control the media. And it's like, duh! Like, yeah. duh! Yeah. <laughs> um, and then another guy raised his hand and he was like, um, yeah, I mean, the Jewish phrase next year in Jerusalem is all about um, colonizing. And I was like, it literally ends a Passover Seder. Um, and that, it was just a lot of, my, again, I don't even know why I would call that a microaggression. It was pretty blatant anti-Semitism in my yeah. opinion. But, um, so I like stood up and I said, I feel uncomfortable as, as a Jew um, and that yeah. um, I'm here because I want to be a part of the conversation. Um, but when things like that are said, I feel like I'm completely excluded from the, com right. from the conversation. So. Well, I remember like, and cause like we attended Israel apartheid week last year and we like attended, you know, those like a uh, panel speaking about it. Yeah. It's about anti-Semitism. And yeah. like, you know, we, um, he was one of the guys on the panel actually, I think was leading the movie I saw the Le Lebanese man. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. Yeah. 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 Or, or, yeah. yeah. And I remember it's like, you know, it's just it felt necessary to do. We need to hear another's perspective. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the, the event itself was fine. And then you know, we listened to everything everyone had to say. But then I remember there was a guy that stood up in the audience. And you were passing the mic, too. And there was a guy that stood up in the audience and was like, you know, I'm really annoyed that the fact that uh, people that are like, that, that there's Zionists and people from the IDF in this room... But, like, it doesn't matter. Like, they don't, they're not important or something like that. And, like, it's like, yeah. Why do you, like, dude, like, for, like, for one, like, fuck you. Two, like, why do you feel like that's necessary to say when we're going out of our way mm -hmm. to try to understand not your side? Yeah. We, yeah, there's no disruption there. And it's like, we're here to learn. We're not here to intimidate anybody. Mm -hmm. We're not here to, like, antagonize anyone certainly like we're here to further our understanding mm -hmm. so that we can be better people mm -hmm. and when you have people that are just very like reactionary that just don't want that just think that like you know saying really just like blatantly like ignorant things about people that you don't know is going to further us as a society then it's just it's dumb and <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, I met, like, and, like, kind of what you said earlier, like, you know, especially when you're presenting, you know, it doesn't matter if you think that you have the moral high ground or not, you still have to be, like, you still have to be, you know, welcoming and inclusive and everything, and that's, sort of, like, you said that earlier. Yeah, take, take, whatever the opposition is saying, take it for what it is, regardless of what their actual intentions are. Yeah. So... I mean, I think in that panel, for example, I think you and me and people with us had genuine questions. Yeah. Like when we, when it came down to And it. they were answered. Yeah. And, and it, it they were answered respectfully and none of our questions were meant out of spite. Yeah. Right. It, at least I can say for myself, I was genuinely there to. Yeah. I remember you asked mind. what, what, 
in the context of a one-state solution, what would that look like? And yeah, um, I know Ben, who was the Jewish speaker on our panel, responded that there's a great organization called Sakharot, and they're, um, they work in Israel, and they've kind of created a vision of what that might look like and how might it might be achieved. And that was my, I remember that. That was my question also, was about how human rights organizations in Israel are like, you know, working to like, working towards peace, or they're working mm -hmm. towards like, you know, Palestinians and that kind of stuff. Cause it's like, you know, there's plenty of fucking Israel I would see, like both in Israel and here mm -hmm. in America. It's like, we, like, we get it, like we need to, but that's like, that's not gonna move us forward, like by itself. We need to talk about how we can actually like, you know, forward the conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, you're not gonna do that by demonizing all Palestinians as people that hate Jews. Um, so Reveal, have you experienced, I wanna hear a little bit about your own experience with like anti-Semitism. Have you ever experienced it like blatantly or subtly? Yeah, sure, but. No, I never thought much of it. You know, when I hear, when I listen to Dave Chappelle, and he makes race jokes, I laugh. That shit is funny to me. I love Dave Chappelle. Or, you know, not just Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle is just one example. So, I can't be angry if you crack a Jew joke. I just, unless it's coming from a position of viciousness, which generally I think I'll be able to tell, I can't, I can't be mad at you for that. So, that's, that's just my position on a thing. So, Yes, but no. But why? Why is it funny or why, why can't do I- you be mad? I just can't, because I'd be a hypocrite if I said like, Oh no, fuck this motherfucker for making a Jew joke. Because it's like, I laugh at that shit when it's about other people. When Dave Chappelle does stand up, when, I don't know man, who else? Literally, like every- <laughs> A lot of stand-up A lot of stand-up comedians, yeah. exactly. Like, I, I think that shit is funny. I laugh, and I mm -hmm. enjoy when others laugh also at like the nuances of my culture and other cultures right, yeah. and so forth. I think that key distinction is like it, it's one thing it's like if we make like we can make Jew jokes amongst ourselves and like you know it, I feel like there's kind of a fine line between where it's like where it's like just us messing around like we're playing into this we're thinking it's funny playing into the stereotypes or whatever but mm -hmm. then it's like when you take actual instances of like times we were oppressed or killed or persecuted and take that into like and humorize that. That's where it's crossing a line. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I guess I guess it's more for me when it turns into Holocaust jokes. Yeah, for me sure. that crosses a major. And problem. you're not alone. There's a lot of people that you know. I, I like. I think most Jews would agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, have you experienced like in so in your in Palestinian advocacy circles? Have you experienced anti-Semitism? Let me think. I don't think I have. Really? No, I have not. So that's. I think that's an important. I've thing. saw. I've seen like people say anti-Semitic shit who are Palestinians, maybe on the internet, um, on Twitter, whatever it may be. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, I don't know. Um, but no, no one I've ever personally come into contact with. Even interestingly. The ones who are at the very, like, who are actually suffering as a result of the conflict, the Palestinians. You know, I was in South Lebanon. I was in a refugee camp. And Lebanon, Lebanon is notoriously brutal for how it treats the Palestinian refugees which live in the country. Yeah. And we had a, a discussion with a, a, a Palestinian man who lives in one of the camps. The camp, the camp is called um, Burj Al Shamali. And he was telling us about the events of... I believe it was during the Lebanese Civil War, um, the Israelis were backing their factions in South Lebanon, particularly the Christian Maronite groups, and how his whole family was incinerated as a result of an Israeli airstrike. But he went on to say, you know, we don't, we don't hate Jews, you know, we, just wanna, we just wanna be able to return to our homeland. The, the acuteness with which they understand how they are depicted in the media in the United States as they hate Jews, and that's, that's the source that drives them you know, it was a very powerful thing. Yeah, and that's why I asked that question is because like it's often assumed that like if we're gonna enter a Palestinian circle, like they're automatically gonna hold contempt for us because we're Jewish. It's like, I feel like that's kind of what we're, it's often been fed to us like, mm -hmm. you know, in like, in like, it, it's just kind of taught like in the media and stuff that like, you know, we're not welcome like to, 
you know, have this conversation or we're not like welcome to be around because like we're mm-hmm. Jews and we're automatically assumed to be like supporting like, you know, the Israeli occupation or whatever. Mm-hmm. First but, thing I did when I went, when I, you know, matriculated into UAM is okay, where are the Palestinians, where's SJP? And I was, I was greeted with open arms. I had no problems at all. So that, I mean, it's an important thing to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important for anyone watching I became this. president of the organization. Yeah. If that's, if that's, I'm the one yeah. Jew. And, you know, so that's, that's, I think, a further testament to yeah. what the conflict is really about. It's not, it's not religion or it's not race. It's, it's power. It's, it's a bit, exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's power. Mm-hmm. I just saying? have a, I think it's interesting you said it's not religion. I think religion's a huge part of the conflict. I think, mm-hmm. um... I think it started as religion. Yeah. Like, it is about power, obviously, um, but... Both sides claim have religious claims to the land at the mm-hmm. same time. I think religions are both of which I think are utterly illegitimate. Are what? Both of which I think are utterly illegitimate. Um, religious claims from um, Muslims that somehow a religious tie to to this piece of land justifies some kind of political authority over it. I don't I don't buy that from the Muslim side. I don't buy that from the Jewish the Jewish side. Um, Christians from the Christian yeah. side. Although, you know, the Crusades are over, but maybe that's, they're still trying, perhaps. Yeah. But, um... I think that, well, I think that, like, people will use religion as that justification in the conflict, and that's why, like, a lot of times it will be... That's why you see a lot of Christian Zionists, you know? It's like, that's sort of... I think religion is definitely a big component of it, but it's right. also... Religion is being used often as a justification for power. It's not, it's not a legitimate... You know, yeah, 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 yeah. like, yeah. right. So, um, so Nicole... And this is kind of like a double-header question. So where do you find, so like, in like, you know, the Israel community, um, cause like, I know you've met people involved in the community, like from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, being as like, you're also like, of, you're very liberal, you know, you're very like, you know, staunchly feminist and, and you're very, very like, you know, outspoken about like women's issues and, and whatnot. Have you found, like, a lot of, like, backlash or fire from being, like, within, like, the Israel community as, like, being a liberal? Um, one thing that really comes to mind is the Women's March. Um, I felt really uncomfortable about it this past year. Uh, Linda Sarsour, I think, is, makes it that people who are Zionists don't feel comfortable at the Women's March. Um, same... And especially the fact that um, she's great friends with Louis Farrakhan. Um, yeah. So things like that made me just, I feel like the liberal movement is not the most welcoming if you are pro-Israel. Um, and uh, I mean, as a Jew, that that ties into it because like i said when i even attended the event and i know it it may have been an isolated incident but um the fact that people were bringing judaism into criticism of israel yeah so happens in the liberal community in general but also it happens within the pro-israel community um i think you alluded to this earlier um jews are their own critics biggest critics you know when they they want you to be a certain type of pro-Israel, this certain type of Jew, and um, I've ran into that a lot within the community I work, the Israel community. Um, uh, a lot of people feel like the way I'm vocal about um, Israel's flaws and Palestinian suffering is not okay, and um, I've had a lot of people talk to me in private about how um, Basically, as a leader, I've heard this like verbatim, as a leader of the pro-Israel community, I should really um, limit my criticism. Um, I've heard that, and it's, it's quite frustrating um, because I feel like what I say is my personal, my personal opinion, whatever I post on Facebook, whatever I... Um, say in one-on-one conversations that's my opinion and it's it's my truth but if you don't agree with it fine um but you have no right to tell me that 
me who's, who feels like I'm, I'm doing a career advocating for Israel, um, that I'm not pro-Israel enough. You should be criticizing it if you're going to be a leader. And like I said earlier, mm -hmm. like you, you should be, because it's like you're fighting for something you care about. So you mm -hmm. should be speaking up about what your community can be doing better because, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it all goes back to empathy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you don't feel for people that see something in a different light than you, then, you know, you're not going to become, you're not enhancing your worldly perspective. You're just, you know, you're participating in an echo chamber. And that's what mm -hmm. a lot of Israel advocacy has become. And it seems like Maccabee Task Force kind of deviates from that, where it's like they actually give you more of like, you know, they regularly like explore and just try to gain more of a sympathy for that Palestinian narrative. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to actually say something really quick. Um, a girl on a trip we went on just recently with Pittsburgh, um, I was talking to her, she's a Jew, and she refuses to do birthright, and I was having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and I said, how do you feel that you were on this trip? Because she said, I'm never going to Israel. like that." And somehow we convinced her to like go on this trip because we were going into um, Ramallah, Bethlehem. And um, she said, um, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Um, she, she basically said how um, through, our, through this organization, she was able to really get what she believes is two sides of the story. And um, I can't really stress enough how, how proud I am that I was able to be there with her on that journey and re relay my experience to her. Yeah. You know, I just graduated a year ago. She's a sophomore in college. Um, there's two years in between us, so I felt like I could really connect to her and say, I hear you, I hear your your reservations, um, but you're here now and you can yeah. see everything right. for yourself. Yeah. So And I think that like uh, I think that what like groups like If Not Now is expanding the conversation about. Mm -hmm. um, shout out Ari Blue McCat. <laughs> that's, um, that's the homeboy. Yeah, that's the dude. Um, I like that, like, if not now, is doing that, where, like, um, they're just kind of, like, th they don't really take a stance on, like, you know, what you specifically need to, like, f like whether or not you support something like BDS or not. Like, they don't take a stance on that, mm -hmm. but they're expanding those difficult conversations about, like, well, the occupation is real, and, you know, American Jews should be criticizing Israel if they you know, because this is what its government is, you know, this is what its government looks like right now, and like, you know, the ex occupation is expanding. Um, um, so, Reveal, would you travel to, like, Israel and Palestinian territories right now, if you had the chance? For the, it depends on the purpose. I'd never go just to, for some vacation, to sit on some tourists, to sit on some, you know, like, tourist trip, lay on yeah. the beach, you know, eat a sandwich, whatever. No, I, I would rather participate in the peace movement, either whether it is on the Israeli side or the Palestinian side, and, often, and mm -hmm. oftentimes there's an overlap between those two sides. Yeah. The peace movement in Israel is very significant, it's very important that it exists in groups like Tzacharot and groups like If Not Now, but it's very small. It's a minority, and it's constantly coming under attack. Breaking the silence, too. Yeah, but did I say breaking the silence? No. No, but that's another oh. baker because that former IDF soldiers, you know, giving accounts of their experience right, right, in the right. occupation and everything. Breaking the silence, of course, is part of that, as well as many other groups. Working with them, I don't think it's a possibility. First of all, I don't speak Hebrew, so that's that's already an obstacle to doing that. Neither do I. So Same. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if hypothet hypothetically, if I did and if I could do that, then yeah, I would go, but you know, it's a non-issue. I can't go. I'll be, I'll be designated persona non grata. They won't let me into the country. So, and that's because, like, you support BDS, right? Yeah, any, the thing that um, Israel has been doing, it's it's speculated, is that they've been using Canary Mission as a database oh, to yeah. um, locate people who support BDS, regardless of what reasons, um, to ban them from entering the country. I don't think, like, a lot of, there's a big conversation that, like, BDS is, like, anti-Semitic. I don't think that BDS is anti-Semitic, even if I don't support it. I still support people's right to support it. I do think, however, that if you're going to support like BDS on Israel, like you know, you also need to support it against every other country that's also carrying out like things like human rights violations or receiving funding from you know 
Amer like America that is also carrying things out. Like Saudi Arabia comes to mind. Um, I just think that it's like, I think that the reason a lot of people think it's anti-Semitic is because it's specifically focused on Israel, like, rather than other countries that are also carrying out those human rights violations. Mm -hmm. So, Nicole, like, so do you feel like, um, so where have, have you felt unwelcome in liberal circles because you identify, like, you know, with Israel? Yes, um, I have. Yeah. I just feel like um, a lot of times you meet liberals who simply jump on the bandwagon and don't truly know what's happening in the Middle East. And just because it's part of like the liberal agenda. They'll see a headline and they'll right. make an assumption. Right. Yeah. And like if you genuinely want to have a conversation with me about it, I'm open, um, but I feel like a lot of people just automatically hear that I'm pro-Israel and they don't understand how I could be like a liberal. It yeah. just doesn't make sense to them. But at the same time, they don't, when I ask them a basic question, they don't know what's happening. Right. If the thing is, is if you're, if you support Israel's right to exist and that's fine, but hold it accountable. I think that that's the best thing we can say is like, hold it accountable for what its government is committing. And also empathize with the fact that the Palestinians have a really brutal, they have a brutal reality that they face under, you know, the governments that they live under mm -hmm. and that, you know, they deserve justice. Um, and I think that, like, you know, we can't, like, participate in sort of, like, those, you know, narrow-minded um, approaches to, like, what needs to, like, how the conflict should be solved. It's, like, mm -hmm. you have to, like, there's a lot of history to it. You have to, like, take a class on it, read books on it. You have to fucking, you have to, like, read really deep into understanding all the facets of, like, everything. Like, you said you read historians, and, like, like, like I, I can guarantee most mm -hmm. people... Don't do that. Don't, do not read right. from historians. Yeah, and I think, I think it's important to read books... From people on both ends of course right um, yeah like I'm, I'm reading a book right now called the missing piece by Dennis Ross and um, he was a part of the peace process and it's a really eye-opening book but it's also you can tell it's a little slanted to the left or to the right sorry um, so I think after I read this book I'm gonna try to read something else coming from a Palestinian perspective during the peace pro process yeah. so of course so yeah, I, I think I recommend Edward Said's uh, "The Failure of the Peace Process." But, okay, um, that's literally it. Yeah, that, <laughs> perfect. No, actually, perfect. Edward Said, yeah, he um, very we, very serious. We read him a we okay. read his in multiple fields. We read uh, his work, uh, or at least examined his work in a class I took at UWM. That sounds, I second that. Um, so we're gonna close out here. I think we've done some, we've had some great conversations. Um, I think that we've just talked a lot in general about realities that we have faced based on, you know, who we are and what, you know, what we do. Um, so, Nicole? Ben. What keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? <sighs> um. <laughs> it's me anything. This is really like, okay. can be serious, non-serious, I don't care. Well, I'll make it serious. What keeps me up at night is the fact that I feel stuck. Like I don't, I don't deserve to have a stake because I'm such a small person. I'm just one person in this huge world. And I don't know if I'm doing enough for what I can be. And it's just, it's hard. It's hard to feel like you're working in this field, but do I, why? Like, why am I doing this? Well, you're an individual, you know, you can only, yes. you can only, but you can make an explosive impact on people. Um, so remember like, so it's good to have a team with you. you know? mm -hmm. Good to have people that support you in that. So reveal what keeps you up at night. Chicken sandwiches. Um, <laughs> I get hungry at night. Yeah. <laughs> and then man, just the LSAT, the internet, the LSAT. 
<laughs> so nothing deep or philosophical, just. Even though you gave some very deep and philosophical uh, answers on the show today, <laughs> so that's a good uh, little, um, little. Uh, uh, They're down very boring. I don't okay, yeah. fine. Twitter pretty... keeps me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good contrast there. I also something that I do want to really make really quick uh, mention of. Um, so obviously, you guys heard about the swastika incident at um, the mm -hmm. Israel Independence Day event uh, on UWM about a couple, couple weeks, ago. weeks ago. Yeah. What I found was really amazing about that. So typically, like you know, there's been that event has received attention from you know SJP protests, um, and it's you know it's been controversial on that end just because it's just the Nakba versus the Yom Hatzmut conversation, mm -hmm. like that's historically what it's been about. But this year, it was about something completely different. It was about a guy who held up a swastika that had the word gas on it in front of an Israel event, mm -hmm. um, saying really derogatory, or yeah, derogatory things about Jews. What amazed me was how everyone kind of rallied together around that. Like, there wasn't any, like, people kind of threw, like, forgot, not necessarily forgot, but at least put aside the differences <coughs> on, like, the Political. perspectives of the conflict and instead had more of a conversation about this guy's doing something that's blatantly hateful, like, that we can both kind of, that we can both agree on, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, that we can both see that we, like, we can find that commonality. It's like we can all agree what this guy is doing is wrong, and that you know a hate symbol is crossing a completely different line. So I want to say that like I'm kind of proud of that progress that we've made at least on our campus, where like you know we can we not agree on like something entirely on like a political perspective when it comes to like you know the conflict, but. You know, I think that it was really amazing to see the community come together against that. Um, so, Nicole, what puts you to sleep? What puts me to sleep? Um, Broad City. Oh yeah, for that show's good. Um, what puts you to sleep? Valerian root. That's <laughs> <laughs> what Russian people drink. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Thanks for being on the show. Ambient. Alright. Continue having that. Okay. For one, read the fuck out on the Israel Palestine conflict if you really are fascinated by it. If you want to learn, like, before you have a fully formed opinion, just do your reading, do your research. That's all we ask. Um, but also, just that goes for any issue. Um, just to do your research and about everything going around, going on in the world, um, and just have dialogue with your friends and it comes with empathy. So thank Talk you to people who have different ideas. Yes, than you. right. Anything for the good of the cause. Don't be afraid to debate people. If you take a position, that means you should have nothing to fear from someone on the opposition. Unless you can't defend every facet of it, then you shouldn't have it in the first place. So. That's very key thing. Yeah. All right. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.